Well, you can say hi if you want to. Hi, this is Howdy. Howdy. Hello. Hi, this is Greg Lamont. Welcome to the Velocast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Velocast. August. Tis the season to be transferred. Tra-la-la-la-la, as the old song almost goes. With the musical saddle season in full flow, we'll be looking through the now fully disclosed worst-kept secrets in cycling and discussing what they could mean for 2020. We'll also be looking at the three days of racing for the, hang on a minute, what's that jersey he or she is wearing competition, otherwise known as the UEC European Championships. But before we get to all that, and indeed more, standing in for John, who is lurgied up to the hilt, is Derek Troy from the Flamcast. Welcome aboard once again, sir. Scott, how are you, buddy? I'm very, very good. And and yourself? Not too bad. My head is in a bit of a spin about all these transfers because I'm, I'm only starting to get used to riders in certain colours and now they're bloody moving. I think that may be one of the, the great signs of, of cycling fans getting on a bit where you start to get confused on a, an annual basis as to why such and such is wearing red when he was wearing... Oh, hang on a minute, that's right, he was transferred last year. Yes. Um, it, it, it's one of those things that happens to us all and as we'll discuss in uh, later on in the show... Not only are we getting older, there are certain riders getting older as well, which I think has very much an impact on which teams they they end up in. Yeah, yeah. There's, I think, 100 plus top level riders out of contract this season. So it's probably one of the bigger ones that we're going to see this this merry-go-round. Plus as well, we're going to see a good few of the bike manufacturers swapping around if rumours are to be believed. So it's going to be an interesting season next year. Well, everybody will, I'm sure, be pleased to know that we will not be covering all 100 Raiders out of contract, as we'll be here until the start of the Vuelta. Uh, but first up then, the Ineos summer of success continues seemingly unabated with rising star, yes, another one, Pavel Sivakov taking last week's tour of Poland. The 22-year-old Russian sealed his victory on the final day's racing and in an event which will, of course, sadly be remembered for the tragic loss of... Bjorg Lambrecht. It was a terrible loss, uh, Bjorg. Um, the, the incident, the whole crash, and just it kind of had that, um, yeah, that bit of that sense of God. You're, you've just seen a life wiped out, and he was so young and just n- to never age. And I suppose that the, the hard part of it was then that the, the, the race went on. And it was very strange how it went on as well, because why didn't they just the next day stage let the guys ro- roll out, do five k, stop the stage, abandon the stage, and just transfer? They made him ride almost the whole stage. I know it was shortened a bit. It felt a little bit I don't know uh, manufactured, um, and uh, yeah, it just it left me a little bit cold and everything else. But at the same time, yeah, cycling does go on, and Sivakov has risen to the occasion and. He was kind of um he was kind of rattling around there. He didn't have a great Giro, so I, I thought he was kind of in the need of um in the need of pulling something off. And he, you know he's he's done it, he, and um he's done it with a bit of style and panache as well. So as you said, um next year it's going to be a very interesting season at at Team Sky, Carapaz, Bernal, Thomas, Froome. That's four leaders. There's three Grand Tours. Someone's going to be unhappy. Indeed, <laughs> but that's a story, of course, that will be unfolding across the next 12 months or so. I think there should be, you know, we're talking just in the intro there about it's a sign of getting old that we uh, occasionally mix up or get confused as to which riders are on, on what teams. I wonder how much free advertising Sky has had over the past few months <laughs> with, with us getting a bit older and continuing. And, and it's not just us, it's commentators and, and everyone else are still saying Team Sky when we, of course, mean Team Team Anios. I wonder how long that's going to go on. I'd say until next season, I'd say. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm actually reading the uh, the secret peloton at the moment, uh, the kind of the diary of uh, the secret pro that was out there maybe a year or two ago. And it's, it's referred to as Team Ineos quite early and then it's Team Sky somewhere else because uh, I only picked up the, the book there a couple of weeks ago. But yeah, it looks as if the editor wasn't uh, 100% and didn't do the find and replace on all the book. <laughs> That's what we need verbally, as a verbal find and replace, so that we don't make these mistakes. Uh, elsewhere in, in the Tour of Poland, Pascal Ackerman proving to be the, the informed sprinter at this race. 
Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, Sam at the Bing Bang does three in a row. So it's kind of, I can do this. Well, hello, I can do that. Um, so, yeah, Pascal looked very, very, you know, very, very good. Clean pair of heels to everyone. Um, and it looks like there could be a good few of the sprinters that are coming into form heading to the Vuelta now as well. Um, so it's going to be interesting now for the rest of the season. And plus as well, we're st- just to refer to the transfers, we're seeing a few of the sprinters move around. So there could be some battles next season. And there's some lead-out men moving as well, which can make things a little bit more interesting as well. But yeah, um, Ackerman, I think Bora have probably the two the two best sprinters this season in Ackerman and and Bennett um, and it's just a, a pity they've managed them kind of a little bit poorly um, and that they're maybe separating before the year's out and to the, the GC we, we talked a wee bit there about Pavel Sevakov and Enios's you know embarrassment of Richie's it was very much a, a wide open GC it was a lot of guys kind of kind of missing yeah. from that you would expect to go to the Tour de Poland following the, the, the Tour de France yeah yeah and you know as well um, you had Micah coming back from the Giro and you know you, it was very much an open race and it very much suited like it was close enough to the tour that they weren't after dipping you know that they weren't kind of after getting fatigued or anything like that and I, I expected a, um, a bit more of a better battle um, but it kind of it was more I don't know it was up and down wasn't it really for the GC battle there wasn't really anyone stamping their authority on it and even on the last stage it was uh, Morich who won it and he was over two minutes clear from the main GC favourites so it was kind of a little bit I don't know damp um, not really the, the fireworks we kind of expected um, but you know look there's good few riders there that had a good had a good ride you know uh, Positivo had a great ride Formolo had a great ride as well and um, yeah just I, um, we kind of didn't miss that kind of GC battle that we've seen over the last few years and you know the the kind of the way that maybe Ineos would have defended Jersey or anything like that he, you know Sivakov just took it on the last stage so maybe it just ran a little bit flat maybe I don't know what do you think of it? Well I mean yeah obviously it's going to be a flat event given the, the tragic loss of of uh, Bjorg Lambrecht midway through that's always going to cast a, a shadow a very long shadow over anything that, that happens on, on the bike nobody really cares I mean certainly John and myself honestly just did not care about about cycling last week it was well look a young guy's lost his life what what does it matter what happens in sprints or gc battles from from here on in and we will be remembering the 2019 tour of poland as a a tragic event rather than celebrating it for possibly the, the the start of of a a new career in the shape of pavel sevakov um but yeah i i think that even trying as hard as you can to put aside the the events that, that took place midway through the race it did feel like it was a wee bit flat possibly because there was a lot of bigger names kind of missing when Thibaut Pino um, wasn't there I would have expected him maybe to to come to the event and and I mean, especially in that, that last day that's the kind of stage that would have suited him and he could have been the rider to do what Sivakov really did and, and take it on, on the last day but I think there's the tour as, as exciting as it was for all of us watching maybe cast its own inevitable tiring shadow across the Tour of Poland and there was a lot of guys coming off the back of that, that three week race just either didn't have the legs to show up at all or even if they did they were fatigued a lot by what they'd gone through in France yeah yeah and even going back to your original point the last year's winner Kiotowski he had withdrawn quite early the minute the tour was finished he kind of put his hand up and said look I'm not have, I didn't have the the first half of the season that I I needed or wanted and that I'm going to have to reassess and go from there so yeah, you could be right that the tour did knock a lot of a lot out of the people, a lot out of the GC contenders, and as a reason that this one kind of with everything combined, it fell a little bit flatter than it has been in previous years. Uh, moving on, then Elia Viviani is the new European men's road race champion, which I'm sure will delight new squad Kofidis, and that you'll not be seen in an actual Kofidis jersey for 2020. Well, Amy Peters capped off a dominant Dutch performance in the women's road race. Dominant Dutch performance. It was the strangest Dutch performance I've seen in years. Well, actually, no, not years. 
every time the Dutch ladies seem to get together, there seems to be something that goes very, very strange with their tactics. Um, there was three... three in my defence, in my defence, uh, uh, dominant in terms of the, the overall yeah. game. I mean, I think they took, what, five medals from the championships, so that's where I was going with that, rather than yeah. the tactics on the day for the, the women's race. Yeah, it's... it's, it's uh, they've, they've done it before. Like, I think they've, we've seen this before, and even last year's World Championships, was it the Championships in Bergen? Probably the Championships in Bergen, where they were... They, they had riders away and they were riding each other down and they were, you know, it just didn't make sense. And it, it seems to be a, a kind of a, a thing with the Dutch national squad now for the women that they're never happy with the rider that's up the road and they'll try and ride him down. And, you know, I, I just don't understand what's going on with the Dutch Dutch ladies team at an, at an international level because they have so much, I think since 2012, when Voss won in... The, the Olympics in UK was that 2012 that it would have been yes it would have been yeah absolutely yeah yeah I think from since then on they've had a, quite a good bit of success and they've been kind of unified but their, their tactics just are bizarre absolutely bizarre can't understand them I mean I, I think really given the we talked about Enios and the embarrassment of riches the, the same could be said and, and maybe ex- explain your, your, your query a, a wee bit is that they have so many talented riders and because it's not a team that that comes together with any regularity, there's not that time to bed in and and figure out, right, well, if you're going to take the, the, the captaincy for, for this race, I'll get my chance on the next race and then it'll be such and such the race after that. It is all on the one day and you get to wear the, you know, it's like the World Championships, of course, you get to wear that jersey for, for the next season. Uh, so given that they have so many fantastic riders, there, there is maybe a bit of, well... Yeah, yeah, she may be my, my compatriot, but, uh, you know, her winning is 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 actually me being denied uh, the, ch- the chance the chance to, to wear the jersey for, for the whole of next year. Yeah, and to, I suppose to your point, there is not enough international races for national squads that you can say, right, we're riding for Amy today, we're, we're riding for Chantel in two weeks' time, we're riding for Marianne in three weeks' time for that, and that suits her, and, you know, there's not, that, there's not enough of that, I suppose. But at the same time, like... <sighs> If you have a plan and your team doesn't execute the plan, even if you don't believe that Rider A is the best rider or Rider A will uh, be the overall winner, if if you're asked to execute a plan and if you're asked to do a job of work for a team and you don't do it, how do you get selected the next time? Uh, to the, the men's elite road race, Elia Viviani being the, the new... European road champion and, and as I said you know th- there is somewhat of a double-edged sword in this while it's an opportunity to take a jersey and wear it with pride a- across the, the whole of a season I think especially when you're going to a new squad as Elia Viviani is I'm not so sure that the the sponsor will be too happy that their branding their colours uh, yeah, I can, they're investing in are being kind of wiped out by this very strange look because it, it it just doesn't have the iconography of the the arc en ciel the, the rainbow stripes of world champion. I always find myself kind of squinting for for a second or two, going, "What's Matteo Trentin?" But all oh, right, yeah, he was European champion, and I'm sure it's going to be the case with Elia Viviani next season as well. Yeah, I, I think the European one doesn't carry away. I think it hasn't been around that long. And it's, yeah. it's, it's, can you name the last three? Uh, no. I mean, Trentin, because he's the outgoing one, but off the top of my head, no, I'd have to look it up. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you could probably name the last two or three French national champions. You could probably name the last two or three Italian national champions. Um, I, I just, I think, I suppose some of the national, national jerseys carry quite a bit of pedigree they also carry quite a bit of style and they carry quite a bit of they have quite a bit of history about them and I think probably the European Championships doesn't have that plus as well where it fell kind of it's it's a between race it's 
uh, lads coming off the tour um, and um, maybe I don't know is it it's too far away it's not far you know it, it's kind of falling in between two stools there as well with the timing of it so are you getting the quality that you, you deserve at, at a European level championships I don't mm. maybe, maybe not and maybe it's it should be could be something that could be run every two years yeah, I, absolutely. I think that'd be a good idea. Uh, one final, I mean, because there was plenty of racing to to be seen uh, across the three days that the the events were were running, of course. But the the one other performance that really stood out, as just about every performance he's doing at the minute, of course, is uh, Remco Ivanopol, who is yeah. now the the men's TT champion, eighteen seconds ahead of Kaspar Askren, and twenty one ahead of uh, Eduardo Affini and Stefan Kung. All of whom are not bad time trialers in their own right. No, so that's a one two in the TT for uh, Quick Step, and it's a one two in the. Was it a one two that they had in the road race as well? It's, it's been a very successful weekend for him. But yeah, I, I think uh, Remco's ride is out of this world. I, I I'm surprised at how well he's done, how well he's adapted, considering his his youthful age and all that sort of stuff. I would have expected him to struggle. Going up to the, you know, he would have been riding restricted gears junior. He would have been riding smaller races, the shorter distances. You know, a couple of weeks back when he attacked in uh, San Sebastian, it was a 30k, 40k to the end in a 200 odd k race, which is something an experienced pro does. Um, I wasn't expecting him to do that. Um, and, you know, even in, in the TT, he's probably monstering a 55, 56 in that thing. You know, um, his cadence is quite high. Um, I would have expected him uh, for the first six months of this season to maybe have struggle, not struggle a little bit, but his cadence to drop, struggle a bit with the gear, the gearing, trying to get on top of it because he's been throwing two or three things at once. You know, he's riding bigger gears, he's riding longer races, he's riding them differently. Um, I would have expected him to struggle and to see him win like this and win so convincingly. And you know, like you said, there was a quite a list of good TT specials and they were quite behind they were a good bit behind him like uh, Dowsett Kong quite a good few TTers that were you would expect to be damn close to him or damn near the, the podium weren't anywhere near him so it's a it's a it's a huge breakout ride um, and in some way shape or form I have one eyebrow quizzically raised because I, I he's he's a some sort some form of an enigma to me I think one so young he needs to be protected he could very well easily be at 23 propping up a bar in Belgium as well if he's not looked after um, and he could be you know he could have his two knees blown out by 22 as well like so I think he needs to be protected I think he needs to be looked after I think he needs to be cared for and I think he needs to take it easy and develop slowly maturely and incrementally and I don't know. I think maybe just because he's Belgium, I know he's moving down to Monaco now at the moment. Um, it it may make or break him. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he knows himself what he can do at the minute. I think every race that he's entering, every performance he's giving, is a surprise as much for him as it, as it is for for everybody watching on uh, he's clearly finding out and it's that the arrogance of youth he, he just doesn't know what he's capable of but i totally understand your your concern you know that we've seen these glorious talents emerging and then fading just as quickly o- over the years um i, I do think no though with with him being in the kind of of, of company uh, as as he is at at the moment, with with other new riders coming up and and doing amazing first time rides, the it, all the attention won't be on on him. You know, there's there's other yeah. young riders that we can we can look at. So it's not like he is going to be solely saddled with uh, that tired old trope, the new Eddie Merckx thing, and and the pressure really being heaped upon him. Um, I mean, we were going to cover this in in the transfer section, but it would be as well just talking about it quickly. Um, There was a a story just last week about uh, Remco Ivanopol staying at the Coining Quick Step with, as Patrick Lefebvre put it, a family handshake uh, sealing the deal. Uh, You'll stay with us until 2021 with an option until 2023, Lefebvre told Het Noisbad and Het Last Noise. His father and I arranged it with a handshake. 
I mean, I I think Remco needs to get an agent as quickly as possible. Personally, I wouldn't trust meeting up for a coffee on a Patrick Lefebvre handshake, never mind being assured of having the best deal for the next two, three years of my career. Um, if Lefebvre shook my hand on a deal, I'd check my fingers afterwards. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, not to be too down on Patrick Lefebvre, no. but, but he is, he's a long time canny director, sport TV, he's been in the game a long, long while, and I, I can see him being very pleased with the firm handshake that, that took place between himself and uh, Mr. Ivanopol Sr. I, I would say, yeah, the, the term that I would use for Lefebvre is an astute businessman. mm um, but look, I suppose the other side of it as well, you, you never, you never, Lefebvre is very straight. He works with a budget. He will price accordingly. He will price your worth. If he thinks you're worth X, uh, there may be a little bit of leeway on that, but he won't, he won't give you 2X or he won't give you 4X. He will give you X, X.5. And I think in some way, shape or form, um, yeah, he might be a canny businessman. He might be, um, he's not in the, the the Swiss Tony level of, of, of dealing and wheeling and dealing, but I do think he's, he is one of these guys that his word is his bond. And when he says he'll do something, he will do it. And if he agrees a price with you, uh, you have, you have agreed that price with him and that's that. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't cross him if, you know, I, I just would not cross him. I'd say he, he, you know, he would, kill you stone dead like you know over a deal <laughs> and do you think that um the coin and quick step is the best place for ivana pool yeah i do and I, I i i have this debate with people about team sky i don't particularly our team any us i don't particularly like him um I, I i think they have a lot of questions but if a writer if a young writer signs with him i you know for me uh the kind of quick step team any they're probably the top two teams in world cycling at the moment if a rider goes there he's going there for the right reasons he's going to get the right equipment he's going to get looked after in the correct manner he's going to have the best mechanics he's going to have the best advice if they can't if those two teams aren't doing it right then i don't think any team is going to be doing it right and if a young rider or developing rider goes there and doesn't doesn't develop or doesn't learn from it or doesn't pick up anything from it well then i don't think he's going to develop or learn anywhere i think Perhaps maybe in a couple of years' time, um, you know, and if you even look back at the tour, I've, I've said this to you before that I think uh, Lefevre has a um, he has an aller- allergic reaction to your yellow jersey. So if if Evanapol develops into a GC rider more so than a classics rider, I think he may have to move on, um, because I don't think they will build a GC team around him. I don't think they will pick up four or five climbers, you know, that sort of way. I couldn't see him doing that. But I do think for the moment, for his development, they are very, very good. The only thing that would mark him down would be they are a Belgium team. They are the best Belgium team. They are the biggest Belgium team. So the hype train is going to be quite big behind him if he if he does come close to winning winning anything, which may be a little thing that he might find unmanageable. You know, I know that times are a lot better now, but even if you go back, Boone went off the rails, you know, you go back Vandenbroek and or you know, stuff like that. He just needs to be careful, he needs to be managed correctly. I mean, I think the the only thing I would say just to that final point there is that, again, given not not so much that it's other young riders and, and other teams that will share the, the burden, I think also at the Conic Quick Step, they, they do have so many riders who can win in the spring that he's not going there as or are staying there as the number one focus for that team. Yeah, and I I do think they do manage that quite well, and mm. they do they do manage their stars quite well in that respect, and they do give them a a, a good rattle, um, you know they, they do give them a good roll of the dice, they do give them a good chance, and you know I hate that bloody wolf pack monkey and all that sort of stuff, but they do work for each other and they do pull for each other, and if it's working for me this week, they'll work for you next week, and there's there's no even though they're quite big stars. There's no prima donnas there, and they will they will put the shoulder to the wheel, and which is a, a a very good environment to be in, like because it does give you that team ethos and it does give you that team bonding. 
Uh, before we talk about some more transfer news, uh, a really unfortunate story. Uh, Dominic Opozzavivo's career as a professional rider may be over following the incident where the 36-year-old was reportedly hit by a car whilst out training. The Italian underwent surgery on Monday for multiple compound fractures to his leg, arms and collarbone. He also has several suspected fractured ribs and a bruised lung. Yeah, that's... At his age, I know he has said that it's it's possibly that he's he's ended his career, but that does sound like a even if you were a bit younger, that does sound like it could possibly be you know even if that happened to a twenty four twenty five year old, that that litany of injuries does sound like it could possibly end anyone's career, especially with a, such a bad leg break and arm break as well, like. I mean, we can only hope that he gets better and does does come back. But you're absolutely right at thirty six. It's not just the the severity of of the injuries; it's the time that they will take, and time isn't going to be on Domenico's side. Um, you know, you maybe as a twenty four, twenty five year old, you think right, even if it takes me a season or two to really get back to where I know I can be, I'm still young enough that. I can refocus and and come back to to win big again. And know that you know in Dominico Pozzavivo's position in his career, he's he's looking to to win all that much. He is very much a, a support rider these days, and and has been even this year a fantastic support at, at Barry Merida. But at thirty six, you know, going into 37, 38 before he's liable to be back at his best, uh, I have to maybe agree with with his own. Um, yeah. assessment. assessment of the situation yeah apparently it was the first thing he said to his wife um, after the crash was that's it my career is over and, and, and I'm you know, kind of struggling to see how it's going to be anything other than that and, and I hope I'm wrong yeah no and the other side as well is irregardless of his career irregardless of getting back on the bike or anything like that you would hope that the man comes back to full health yeah. is, able, is able to walk is able to if he has kids if you know, if he has family, is able to enjoy them, is enjo- able to enjoy the rest of his time. I'm not speaking as if he's dead or anything like that, but I just do mean like people just think when cyclists retire that that's it and that's all he's grand and everything else. Like, but you know, the, there if you see some of them with all the scars and their backs and their their legs and everything else, like you do wonder in years to come will they suffer from arthritis? Will they suffer from problems? Will they suffer from this and that? And you just hope that the the chap has a good life, has a good quality of life, has, is able to enjoy, you know, all the things that normal people do that we take for granted. Yeah. Well, the ins, outs and general shake it all abouts of the transfer season seem to either provoke wetted appetites for the exciting possibilities a move to a new team creates or raised eyebrow, curled lip, WTF faces at the likelihood of impending intra-team dumpster fire dynamics. Let's dive in now to decide which move is to be failed in which category. First up then, uh, Team Sunweb signing some, some Riders, um, yeah. Uh, Tyus Benut being, I think, probably the, the the biggest name going to to that team. Yeah, definitely. Uh, they've also signed Nico Denz and um, Sutherland as well. So they're they're starting to. I don't know. Is it is it kind of bolting the the horse door after the horse is gone? Um, there, there I, mean, be- I remember talking about this with with Jordan last year regarding the. The exodus that we saw at, at Sunweb and and not seeing a, a similar influx of riders to to support Tom de Milan and 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 we wondered across twenty nineteen whether they would would suffer from that and I think yes I mean Tom de Milan personally has suffered as we'll talk about in, in a bit but it did feel like everybody went and nobody came in to to replace them and and with the, with the talk of Tom de Milan being upset over his his conditions and his treatment and so on and so forth at Sunweb, you do wonder whether, as you very astutely put it, the the um, the, the stable door has been bolt uh, has been closed after the horse is gone. Uh, the horses to support a, a GT bid have well and truly gone. Yeah, and I suppose the other thing that's hanging over Sunweb as well is this. Um possible merger because it's it's been flagged at a while um Corandon who are another company which has been bought out by the same parent company so they're all under the same umbrella you know there's a lot of 
questions around that. Now, I wonder with uh, scientists, are they refocusing? Are they going, okay, maybe Tom's out the door? Tom, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of talk that uh, he's on his way to Jumbo Visma. Um, are they going to refocus as a classic squad and maybe refocus the team around uh, Michael Matthews and Thies Benut for the, the start of the season? Or are they bringing Thies in as a super domestique, super climber type rider? It's it, it's going to be interesting to see what, what way they focus there. I mean, I think... If if they could have all the Christmases at once, they would probably say both. Thank you very much. Whereby Taste Benut goes for them in, in certain classics events and and gets uh, undisputed team lead for for any of those those events he wants to tackle in in the spring and maybe rest them up across May with with a view to to him coming and and doing a, a supporting ride for whether it's Tom de Milan or whatever GC rider they, they may end up having to buy um, come come the, the, the Tour de France. But, I mean, it's certainly the, the most interesting signing I've seen for, for Sunweb. And as you say, it does pose a lot of, of questions as to what kind of team uh, Sunweb are likely to, to become in, in the future. I mean, Michael Matthews wasn't shy in his unhappiness regarding what happened at the Tour de France, that, that yep. he felt he wasn't prepared um, for, for a green jersey till and wasn't prepared for, for the sprints and was kind of thrown in at the deep end after the the incidents with, with Tom de Milan. Yeah, it, it, it does raise questions, but I have to, I do have to say, uh, Benuto is a marquee signing. Um, he's not a rider that's over the hill. He has still got a, a good way to develop and everything else. I think there's a, a few corners can be knocked off him, and you know he can improve. So I think it's 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 probably one of the one of the signings of the season so far. Mm. Uh, Vincenzo Nibali is off to the Team Trek Retirement Village sponsored by a bedtime cup of cocoa and a tartan blanket over your lap there he can rant about how the peloton has no respect anymore before settling down in the TV room with Richie Port and Bauka Mollema to watch Cash in the Attic uh, and his, his brother can bring him in a little classic comp plan every so often <laughs> I mean, is it as bad as I've painted it there? Is this just the the sweetheart deal for Vincenzo before he, he eventually climbs off and and goes to, to retire in a Sardinian beach with his satin black budgie smugglers and, and a gold medallion? Quite possibly, quite possibly. And if that gold medallion perhaps is an Olympic medal, it may be. Um, because I, I know there, there's talks that he wants to have a good rattle at the, the Olympics next year. Uh, the road race kind of something that suits him. But Trek Segafredo or Trek Complan or what, what's your preferred? <laughs> Trek, Trek Ovaltine. Yeah, yeah, yeah Trek Ovaltine. Yeah, we'll we, we use one of those. But yeah, I don't know. They're, they're a team that I... I think uh, in Ciccone earlier on this year, he's plastered over a lot of cracks in that team. I think um, they've kind of looked as if a team they've, that have been rattling around and not really sure what they're doing or what they're supposed to do. Um, you know, when you look at Richie Port, he went out in the uh, Everest at the Madone after the Tour of France. And uh, as I said to a few people on Twitter, what week of the Tour of France is he training for? You know, it's it's it's, it's a team that, it, I don't know, it seems to be a team without a purpose, without a focus and without a direction. Whether Vincenzo will bring that direction, I don't really know. I mean, yeah, you, I think the, the Olympics is probably key here. I, I think he's looking to essentially do appearance races as as training uh, heading into to the Olympics. I think Vincenzo Nibali has got nothing to be ashamed of in terms of his palmares. He can retire right now and just, you yeah. know, hey, look what I've, I've done. You're absolutely right about Trek, especially after the loss of, of Dirk de Mol, looking like a team that just doesn't know what, what its focus is anymore. I mean, there's some good... Yeah, riders in there like Jasper Stuyven, for example, have always talked about as being being a, being a, a great one day cyclist if if conditions fall for him, and indeed it might be that the team needs to be right for him as well. But I guess in in losing Dirk de Mol, they lost that classics focus, and it just now looks like the. They're floating somewhere between Grand Tour and classics, and just not hitting any of those marks yeah. at all. No, I agree fully, and um, not to point fingers, but I do think, for instance, Ryan Mullen is cru is very much cruising there as well. Um, I, I think 
for a team who was so focused around Cancellara and getting every TT right and getting him on the best kit and getting everything right for him. I think, you know, Mullen has probably cruised along there fairly handily. I should really be doing a bit a bit better than what he is at TT wise. And especially when there's a bit of a changing of the guard. I know um Rowan Dennis is probably head and shoulders up, uh, above anyone else as far as TT is concerned. But I do think uh, Ciccone probably had covered over a lot of the, the the cracks there in that team this year, especially the Giro and especially at the, the Tour as well. And, you know, I know Richie finished the Tour and he got past his, his dodgy stage, but really he finished the Tour and he wasn't really in, even in contention for a stage. Uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting seeing it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Uh, whether to just continue as they are with Nibali is going to be very, very interesting. Mm. Uh, speaking of curious team tactics, as evidenced across, well, many Grand Tours throughout many seasons, some new signings at Movistar as a, a big exodus, of course, happens there. Dario Cataldo and David Viella join from Astana. And I'm moving from the Koenig Quickstep, Enrique Mass, who is going to be very busy next year. I mean, with Carapaz, Landa and Quintana now off to Saddles New. Who else are they going to field in Grand Tours? Alejandro. Of course, Alejandro. <laughs> See, I set them up for you and you're ready to, to knock them down. Yes, indeed. Alejandro is going to ride all three Grand Tours next year and win all three of them. Uh, do you think that Enric Mas is is right to go to, to Movistar? I mean, you mentioned earlier on about how... Patrick Lefebvre has an aversion to, to the Mayo Jaune, despite a few seasons ago talking about transforming that team into a, a Grand Tour winning squad uh, and, and almost in fairness pulling it off with Julian Alaphilippe this year but Enric Mas has talked about by Alberto Contador as, as the new Contador it, is it good for him to get away from what is still predominantly a classic focused team to go to what should be a, a Grand Tour focused team in the shape of Movistar? I think so. I think, you know, it's one of those ones you just have to give it a go. Um, and I do think he's moving to a strong team. I think that Movistar are, are definitely pivoting away from the the three-pronged approach. Um, I, I did think they were going to try and hold on to Carapaz this year. Um, I thought they might have thrown a bit more money at him and stuff like that and tried to hold on to him. But at the same time, um, you know, look, um, Mass is going to a good team. They have good quality bikes. They have a good quality setup. They are very, very um, focused and, you know, they will do their best for him. Um, whether he is a GC contender remains to be seen. I do think he could very well easily turn into another Fabio Aru. Uh, speaking of Fabio Aru, I guess, um, David Formolo is off to Aru's UAE Team Emirates. I mean, career prospects aside, the one thing we can say about this move, I guess, is that the Italian Tricolori is going to be an absolute dog's breakfast on a UAE jersey. Remember Fabio Aru, how he looked? Oh, he looked terrible. He looked absolutely terrible. And he got such a bad feedback, they had to adjust it slightly, didn't they? Mm, that's right. Uh, but I mean, to that that move um, from Formula with with Bora seemingly focused more and more on Germanic riders of late, I mean, I think this could be a good move for, for Formula And Dan yeah. Martin is, is rumoured to be off to, I think, Arkea Samzik. So, as I say, it could be a good one. Yeah, um, and I suppose, yeah... <sighs> They, they, they really got things wrong this year at the Grand Tour level UAE so it's going to be interesting to see how they refocus um, and they're, they're a team that they have quite a bit of wealth behind them and they have the brand names behind them so I do think they should be a team that should be doing better and they are a team that again they have a, a split focus they have quite a few sprinters there um, so they, they should be able to split the team quite easily classic sprinters Um and have their GC men working quite well for the stage races, and there should be quite a clear delineation there if they, they need to, you know. Formolo is going there. Um, if he brings the you know the early season form he had at, at Bora this year, um, he could do very well there, and you know he could disappear as well. Like even you look at um, Gaviria, Gaviria. Well, I I still think you know some people will say that uh, Groningen is the, the the fastest sprinter in the world, but I think Gaviria is, and I think he's really gone off the boil this year. Whether Ruchesi going there now this year will or for next year will bring him back on. I don't know. Um, there's talks that very much that. Uh, 
Gaviria is very much on off. Um, wins, trains quite a bit, wins and kind of parks the bike there for a bit. Doesn't win, then kind of gets motivated again, then trains for a bit, and then wins again. You know, so it'll be interesting to see how he fares out. And again, which is Christoph, I wouldn't say he's got a he's over the hill, but he's got got a very good view of the valley. And um, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him for the the upcoming classic season and whether they support him fully or they kind of mess that around again. Uh, speaking of of sprinters, Kofidis announced that they are strengthening up Viviani's uh, lead out train with the signing of uh, Cassoni. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm confused by not the signing of of Consoni so much, but Elia Viviani ending up at, at Kofidis. I, I think that's it's a strange, strange move and. I'm reminded of, of how Viviani had a, a less than stellar lead out at the Giro this year and look what happened. He was just not at the race at all. Uh, and I can't really see Kofidis building the kind of lead out train that Viviani will require quickly enough to, to make it come good you know, for, for 2020. Yeah, and the obvious joke here, this is the first time that Viviani's actually followed Sabatini anywhere. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. yes thank you yes um yeah it was very strange it, it very much looked like he didn't trust his, his lead out at the giro um and he kind of he didn't really trust the lead out at the the tour either like he could have done a little bit better i think um he has remarked himself that um he's very much very much regretful that whoever goes to quick step will have michael markov doing lead out for him um and that markov is clearly among the best uh, in the business and you can even see that if you look at the Prudential Royal London Sorry Classic or whatever they call it um, when Markov released Viviani he squares Viviani so they, they have a tendency to Markov keeps to the barriers on the right hand side he doesn't move that much uh, and when he releases Viviani off, off his wheel there's only a gap for us, one person to get through so if someone's trying to kick, they have to go around both Markov and if Viviani's gotten the lead up, if he's gotten past Markov, they have to go around Markov and Viviani as well. So you have to come around the long way. Um, and they're very, very adept at doing, you know, very small stuff like that. And they're, they're the very little differences that can make the difference between winning and losing. Um, and I think, yeah, he's going to, I won't say he's going to regret it, but like, you know, he's probably getting a big payday. The, the talk is that Buani, that, who was there before him, was on 1.5 a year. Um, which is a massive salary for someone who can't even complete a team time trial. Um, so, look, best luck to him. It's going to be an interesting setup. He's moving bikes, different company. You know, there's going to be quite a bit of that to try and get used to. So, yeah, it's going to be very interesting. And also, I don't know if you spotted it, Kofidis have signed Viviani's younger brother as a stage year as well. So I wonder, is that a bit of payback already for him? And maybe something that was written into the contract that it, it must you're be- bringing, bringing my br- younger brother with me. It must be an Italian thing, is it? Vinge- it must be. Vincenzo. It's that whole whole family thing mm. going going on there, definitely. Um, Nairo Quintana, in a move that hasn't actually yet been confirmed, but as I mentioned earlier on, one of the worst kept secrets in cycling. Uh, he says that in going to a new team, and of course that team is very much likely to be Arkea Samzik. He wants a team that can support him 100%, and no doubt he will get a team that will support him 100%. That, however, doesn't mean that, first of all, that team is capable of supporting a GT win, nor indeed Nairo's disappointing results are due to a lack of team support. Yeah, I don't know. I think... Nairo is someone that I feel has probably checked out over the last few years and kind of wound down his contract. Um, I, it's it's hard to it's hard to figure out. Um, you know, I've said this to John on previous occasions, like you know, uh, staying at altitude, staying at the same coach, staying with all that sort of stuff, and repeating the stuff that he's done for the last couple of years, and then coming back over and expecting different results at the at a tour or at a grand tour. There's a word for that. Um, you know, when you repeat the same stuff and expect different results. So I, I, I don't know. Maybe the, maybe the change of scenery, maybe th- that sort of thing will help him. But at the same time, if they sign half the people they're supposed to sign to support him, they could have a good team. And then the, the writers, are, they're, they're talking about signing, they're probably bringing over his brother, another one of these family things. Um, is there... 
there's a couple of guys coming from movie star as well i think so it, it, they're, they're they're not great names that are coming over for, as far as i can remember so it, he might have 100 percent support but does he have the 100 percent of the best support i don't think he will yeah i mean i find myself coming back to probably the most astute thing our own dear ashley house has ever ever uttered and that is when has naru quintana ever been the best rider in the world I mean, I think he's a cracking guy, and when he does fire, he's superb to watch. We saw that at, at the tour this year, uh, where he was able to largely salvage movie stars Grand Buckle with, with a stage win. But circumstance, really, when uh, the cold, hard later day, it was circumstance that brought him his Giro and Vuelta victories. In the riding under a, a red flag that, that day at the Giro and then capitalising on the audacity of Alberto Contador, Quintana was on his wheel when, when he did it and, as I say, was, was the beneficiary overall of, of what Contador what had, had done. Yeah. Yeah. But it's always, I mean, ever since Ashley said that, it's I've Stop looked at you. it and, and, yeah. and kind of thought... Well, the promise of Nairo Quintana has always seemed to outweigh the performance on, on the road. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I, I would agree with you there. I think he, he's in the the Fabio Aru kind of category. Um, you're kind of, you're always expecting something of him. Mm. And the expectation is that he's going to do something and it's going to be great. And it never happens. And, you know, maybe two years ago, uh, his attack on the Alp when he was a couple of minutes down, it was fantastic. But it was the last 4k of uh, a big climb and you're going you're not going to get the time back you're no you're you're, you're three stages too late by this yeah point. yeah yeah you know and it's the it's the it's not that uh, i suppose yeah you'd rather see him try and fail than not try at all and i think that's that's the kind of catch with with with, with Quintana over the last few years i i do think some of the, 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 the blame for the failure over the last few years lies with Movistar and some of the blame lies with Quintana. Whether the results will be better at Arkea Samsic is another day's work. Uh, finally, this week then, Dutch newspaper De Telegraph reported last week that Tom de Milan is unlikely to race again in 2019. De Milan was forced to abandon the Giro d'Italia, of course, in May. Ongoing problems resulting from that injury then saw him exit the Criterium de Dauphiné on stage six and then skip the Tour de France altogether. An MRI scan on July the 3rd revealed a tear in a knee tendon which requires complete rest. So the question, I guess, is looking beyond not just 2019 and, and the races left in it that Tom de Milan would likely have targeted it's a bigger question of whether a tear in a knee tendon is going to fundamentally affect an entire career going forward and we've also got this you know slight conspiratorial element to factor in as to whether this is a wee bit of playing possum with the, 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 the rumours of, of unrest at Team Sunweb. Yeah, and look, you can say it. I, I've said it quite a bit that he's, it looks like a writer that's running down his contract. But at the same time, as you said, uh, attendant there is quite a serious injury um, and will need quite a bit of rehab and will need a bit of building back up and looking after. And even if he signs for another team next year, will we see the best of him next year? Will we see him, you could very much easily see him turn into an Andy Schleck, you know, that he kind of fades away and kind of, we see flashes of his brilliance every so often and just never kind of fills it out. It's it's a very it's a very difficult difficult one to judge. Um, and I think we probably won't know until maybe early next season um, how he is and how he's doing. Um, it's going to be a strange one. I... I yeah, and because of everything that's happened and because of the way he's been so upset over the way it's been handled. And was he on the way to the Dauphiné? Well, he actually took part in the, the Dauphiné and uh, rode up until stage six and then had to, to abandon. I mean, the, the entire time, I'm glad you kind of brought this up, beyond looking to, to the future and whether that tear is transverse or longitudinal, I, I don't know which it is, I think is, is key to whether he'll actually be able to, to race again. But I think looking at the timeline of what happened with Tom de Milan this year, 
reveals an extraordinary set of of incidents that beggars belief for a professional athlete. So he has this crash on May the 15th and exits the Giro where he, he came over the line, leg covered in blood. He then starts the Dauphiné knowing that there's a small piece of gravel in his leg. They, they thought it was a piece of metal at first, but it turns out it was a piece of a shard of gravel and abandons on the 15th of, of June. Then on the 17th, he has surgery to remove that shard, which requires 10 stitches to sew up that wound. Apparently, he was then planning to go to an altitude training camp. And I mean, what? With 10 stitches in his leg? But that's postponed before it's announced on the 20th that he wouldn't ride uh, ride the tour. Finally, on the 3rd of July, I mean, it's an extraordinary amount of time since the crash, a third, the 3rd of July, he gets the MRI scan, which reveals the tendon tear. I mean, yeah. that's, that's beggars, as I say, beggars belief at the, the amount of time that goes between a crash and actually accurately assessing, assessing the damage that's been done in that crash. And not only just the amount of time before accurately assessing, it's all the stuff that he either chose or was asked to do in the intervening period. Yeah, and it was it was he was on he was actually in the car on the way to the training camp, wasn't he? Yeah. When we he, he decided to turn around. That's what I couldn't remember. That's what I couldn't remember. Yeah, um, it's a. It, I presume at some point that someone decided, yeah, we we that there was a scan on the knee. They looked at the knee and said, oh, there's there's a, there's a bit of gravel there. Yeah, that should be okay. That should be okay. And you'd have to wonder who went. Yeah, that'll be okay, Tom, and decided that. He should be able to race, and I like. And I suppose it's if you're at that level and you you're looking for perfection, and you, they're they're looking for you to be perfect. You have to be respected, and you have to be given the proper tools, and you have to be treated correctly, and you have to be looked after correctly. You know, ten stitches is not a small incision. It's you know, it's not a it's not a keyhole job. It's not something small. It's quite a large incision incision to have done on your on your knee or around your knee area um you know or you know if sit stitches are quite small and tidy and everything else but still to have 10 stitches in a in an area it needs to be quite a big incision i would would assume and then from that to find out that you've got a tear is i don't know it just beggars belief like it just i don't know it 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 shows a lack of, a te- lack of attention to detail it shows a lack of care for the rider it also shows the pressure that some riders are on under if they are the star rider of a of a team that they're expected to do this sort of stuff and i i do wonder is is there an element of look we better leave tom alone for the rest of the season and it's just coinciding coinciding with all these transfer talks as well very possibly well i think that probably wraps it up for this week thank you derek for for stepping into the the breach and, and giving us your your thoughts on on all this week's news stories no problem scott it's glad to be here and we'll be back shortly i'd say with more conspiracy theories that Derek's thought up <laughs> and of course thank you to everyone for listening as Derek and I toured the week's two-wheeled news next week we'll be previewing the final Grand Tour of 2019 the Vuelta a España and we hope you can join us for that in the next edition of the Velocast (laughs) 